0: Good morning. Welcome once again to the Parks Church. So glad that you're with us. Turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Man, it feels good to be together. Man, singing some amazing truths about the Lord this morning. If you're new with us, this is what we do at the Parks Church. We pick a book of the Bible, and we work right through it. And so currently we are in the book of Acts, and uh, man, it has been just an incredible study. And so this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Um, You know, Acts is oftentimes uh, referred to as the history book of the church, and uh, that is very true, but it's important that we understand that God is not finished building His church. God is still building His church today through His Son, by the power of His Holy Spirit working Um, in and through us and it's so important that we understand that because oftentimes in our culture we have a very skewed perspective of church right a lot of times we think that church is a gathering it's it's an event it's something that you go to and there's someone who stands up on the stage and it is their job to proclaim the truth of who God is and it's their job to be proclaiming the mighty works of God. But rather what we see in Acts is we see that if you have put your faith and your trust in Christ, that we are the church, right? And that God sends his power and he fills us with his, his spirit. And we, we are filled with power. Therefore, we are commissioned to go and we are given a very clear message to go and to proclaim the mighty works of God. And that is us collectively as the church. We are the commissioned, empowered people of God. And I pray, church, that as we continue to study the book of Acts... I pray that we as the Parks Church that we get a hold of that. And that gets so deep in who we are because I think that will impact our church, it will impact our community, our city, if we understand that we are the commissioned people of God and we are empowered by his spirit to go and to proclaim the mighty works of who he is and what he has done, amen? And so here we are, Acts chapter three. And if you uh, were with us in the very beginning, Acts chapter one, verse one, it starts this way. It starts with Luke. Telling us that in the first book, he says, I told you all about um, what Jesus began to do and teach. And so he says in the first book, so he's referring back to the Gospel of Luke. Oftentimes, Acts is uh, referred to or looked at as the sequel um, to the Gospel of, of Luke. And so he says, right off the bat, verse 1, he says, I I began to tell you all that Jesus began to do and to teach, with the implication that in this book, the book of Acts, that Jesus is going to continue to do things and to teach things. But the only problem is, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, if you go down there in the first chapter, a few more verses, verses 6 through 8, you see that Jesus ascends, right? He ascends to heaven. He is gone. So how is Jesus going to continue to do things and teach things if he's not here? Well, it's what we just talked about. It's through his commissioned, spirit-empowered people. It's through his church. In the Gospels, uh, we see Jesus doing many miraculous things, and yet we see him doing the same things through the church in the book of Acts. And so today, uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3, and we're going to see the pattern of how ministry unfolds in the book of Acts. We're going to see that something is done, and then it's taught. Something is done, and then it's taught. It's a pattern all through Acts. And so today, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we're going to see what is done, and next week we'll pick it up where Peter teaches exactly what was done in our passage today. So let's look at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What's interesting about this story is that if you read Luke's first book, the Gospel of Luke, uh, there's there's a, a miracle that's recorded that's very similar to the one that we just read here in Acts 3. It's the story in Luke chapter 5, and it's the story of a man who is lame and whose, whose friends bring him to a place where he receives unexpected help through the power of Jesus. That sounds like the story that we just read. And if you grew up in church, if you grew up in Sunday School VBS, it very much is the, the felt board story where we know where uh, Jesus, he's in the upper room and he's teaching. And the, the roof, the ceiling is pushed to the side and this man is lowered down right in front of Jesus and he is healed. Well, a few chapters later after that, John the Baptist, he asked Jesus, he says, are you really the one that we've been waiting for? And Jesus doesn't directly answer the question, but he says, he says, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing. He says there's all these signs from the Old Testament are being fulfilled. Basically he says, what do you think? And so we see all of these confirmations that, that he was the, the Messiah. And what we're meant to see is this this, this pattern of Jesus' ministry is continuing in Acts, and we see it in Acts three. And just as clearly as Jesus acted to heal the man in Luke 5, when he was physically present and he he healed the man in Luke 5, just as clearly as that, Jesus is healing this man in Acts chapter 3, but he's doing it through Peter. In other words, he's doing it through the church. And so here's the story that we read today. Acts chapter 3, we have this man, and we're told that he is lame from birth. We're going to see in chapter 4, we're told that he's 40 years old. And he, uh, every single day, he is brought, he is carried to the temple, outside the temple. And many commentaries uh, that I read this week said that um, more than likely, he is exploited. That He actually is carried in front of the temple. All day, he is asking for alms, for charity, for handout, for money. And more than likely, at the end of the day, people are coming, they take that money from him, and they take him back to his home, and then the next day, he does that again. And so more than likely, he has been, he has been there for many, many years, and this is his life. He has exploited every single day outside of the temple. And so here we have on this day, we have Peter and John and they're walking into the the temple. They're continuing the Jewish tradition of praying three times a day where there would be a morning sacrifice, an evening sacrifice and an afternoon time of prayer. And so they're continuing that tradition. They're walking into the temple and they see this man and this man asks for money. And they go over to the man and they say, hey, we don't have any money on us. We don't have silver and gold. But what we do have is what you actually need. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, they grab his hand, they say, rise up and walk. And this man, he jumps to his feet, his, his feet, his ankles are made whole. He begins to leap, he begins to praise God. He begins to leap into the temple and everyone is in astonishment and amazement. That's an incredible story, right? It's an incredible story where we see this supernatural, miraculous healing. But what does this story mean for us? What does it mean for us today? Because I think very simplistically, we can look at this story and we can say, well, does this story teach us that God heals people? We would say yes. Does this story teach us that we are to be praying for healing? Yes. Does this story teach us that as spirit-filled people of God, that we are supposed to live with an expectation that there is healing power available? We would say yes, yes and amen to all of those things. But what is the primary application for us every time we see a supernatural miracle, miraculous healing in the Bible? Because, look, it can't just mean that any time that we need a healing, we can just call one down and claim it. Because we see many times in Scripture where not everyone is healed. Think about the Apostle Paul. Many people consider him the greatest apostle. He wrote half of the New Testament. We're told that he had a thorn in his flesh, a thorn in his side. Many scholars believe that was some type of physical ailment, regardless he pleaded many times for God to take that away and God said, no, I'm not going to because my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. There's another um, circumstance where we're told that, that Paul is on the road and he's ministering and there is a guy, one of his ministry companions is with him and the guy was so ill that Paul had to leave him behind. And we know that Paul's a great, great, great man of faith and that God uses him oftentimes in, in, in healing And so there's no doubt that Paul prayed for this man, but for whatever reason, this man was not healed and Paul had to leave him behind. And so what does this story mean to us today as we look at this divine supernatural miracle? Because we know that God doesn't always heal. We know that God is not required to always heal. And so today we need to understand this miracle that we're looking at, and hopefully this will help us understand our Bibles, and help, hopefully this will help us read the book of Acts, because we're going to see all throughout the book of Acts, miracle after miracle after miracle, and so hopefully this will serve as a grid for us as we continue our study and we come across these miracles so that we can better understand Scripture. But I want to be abundantly clear. I believe that every, every miracle that is recorded in Scripture actually happened. Luke goes into a lot of detail to point out that this guy is a real guy. He tells us that this miracle happened at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He tells us that this guy is 40 years old. He tells us exactly what, what entrance of the temple this guy was sitting outside. He, Luke is a doctor, and he tells us about this guy's feet and his ankles becoming whole. Very much believe that this is a real man. But what are we supposed to take away from this story? You see, miracles, miracles in the Bible are often called signs right? You hear signs and wonders. Miracles are called signs. In fact, last week, chapter 2, verse 43 said this. It said, "In awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so miracles are signs. What are signs? Well, signs, a sign is something that points to a reality beyond itself. A sign is something that points to a reality beyond itself. Just think of a road sign, right? The significance of a a sign on a road is not literally that medical or that, that metal sign, but rather it's what it's pointing to, right? So think about a road construction sign. If you live on the west side, we're seeing lots of road construction signs, right? More than likely, if you live on the west side, you came down Virginia today, and Virginia has been under construction for at least two years. Come on, somebody, right? So... What is the significance of that road construction sign? Well, it's not literally that metal sign. It's what it's pointing to. It's pointing to a greater reality. And that is what a miracle is. A miracle is a sign. It's not just about that miracle. It's pointing to a greater reality. And we know that all throughout Scripture, there are... There are miracles everywhere, right? All throughout the Old Testament, we see God. He he reveals himself to his people in miraculous ways. He, He leads his people. He protects his people. He guides his people in miraculous ways. And then we move into the New Testament, and we see Jesus in the Gospels doing all kinds of miracles. We see him healing people, raising people from the dead, delivering people from demonic possession. We see him walking on water. We see him standing in a boat and rebuking a storm, and it calms. Over and over, we see the miracles of, of Jesus. And certainly as we move into Acts, we continue to see these miracles. But these miracles are signs. And they're pointing to a reality beyond themselves. They're more than just about that actual physical thing that happened. They're pointing to a greater reality. And so today, as we look at this miracle in Acts chapter 3, I think we can see some reasons why this miracle took place. So the first one is this this miracle happened because. Peter saw the way Jesus saw. This miracle happened because Peter saw the way that Jesus saw. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, And seeing, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he, this is the lame beggar, asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now remember, Peter and John, they are the leaders of this church that is exploding right? They have a lot on their plate. They're very, very busy guys. Just in our time of Acts, we've seen this church go from 11 to 12 to 120. And then you remember Peter's sermon where over 3,000 come to faith. And then where we left off last week in, in verse 47, that this church is literally growing every single day people are being added to it. And so Peter and John, they're the leaders of this church. They have a lot going Uh, on their plate they they have to make sure all these people are being cared for they have to make sure all these people are being baptized and discipled and that the needs of the community are being ministered to there's a lot on their plate despite just that just think about just them walking into the temple there would be lots of activity happening around the temple lots of commotion and yet in the midst of all of that in the midst of everything on their plate in the midst of everything happening at the temple they see this need they see this need. They see this man, and they go over, and they minister to this man. They stop, and that is the model of Christ. That is the eyes of Christ. We see that all the time. You think about Jesus' ministry. Oftentimes, when he was ministering to a massive crowd, he would see the one. Think about whenever he is ministering to a crowd, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he points him out, and he says, Hey, you and I, we're going to hang out later. Think about when he's walking through a crowd and he notices this woman who touches the hem of his garment. Probably drove the disciples crazy. They they have to keep him on task, right? They have to keep him on schedule. There's this massive crowd and they need to get Jesus to and fro and all these things. And yet Jesus constantly was stopping over and over for the one. And in this way, Peter, he sees Jesus or he sees the way Jesus sees. And you can see the spirit beginning to shape Peter into looking more and more like Jesus. That is our prayer for this church. That in the midst of our busy lives and, and, and schedules and everything that every single one of us have on our plate, church, that we would slow down and we would see through the eyes of Christ those around us. That we would see divine interruptions that are placed in our, in our path every single day. I can tell you every night when I put my, my kids to bed, which my kids are older, so putting them to bed looks way different, but... Uh, I, I pray over my kids every night, and I have since they were very, very little. And the words that, that my kids have heard their dad say over them their entire life, every single day, praying for the, for the next day ahead, I always say that they would be light in darkness and that they would have Holy Spirit eyes to see those around them on their campus, that they would see the ones who are broken, the ones who are hurting, the ones who, who are in need. That is, that is the eyes of Christ. Can I tell you that this church was built on that? Like we we came to McKinney nine years ago. And and if you've been with us, and many of you have, you've heard us from day one say, see a need, fill it. See a need, fill it. Be the church. Don't see a need and pick up a phone and call the pastors and say, hey, let's form a committee and let's have the committee start having meetings and all these plans and then we'll, we'll get to the need. No. See a need, fill it. Be in the church. See a need. Grab your brothers and sisters and make the, meet the need. Be the eyes of Christ. See others around you. And we've seen that. So when we came to McKinney nine years ago, I can tell you it was not on our radar to have a free and charitable health clinic. We are pastors. We don't know anything about that. But we got here and we saw... Conservatively, 30,000 people in our city who are underserved and who do not have access to health care. And we saw, man, what an incredible tool to point people to Jesus. And so you know what? God brought the right people around here to make that thing happen. And it's been an incredible ministry to this community. When we came to this community, we weren't, we weren't looking to get in the serving food business. But we came to this, this community and we met with... Uh, Several leaders in our city and we, we were talking to one lady who had been leading a food pantry for 40 plus years and she told us she said there's there's all kinds of food pantries in this city. She said, but no one serves a warm meal. And we're a small church, we've got limited resources, we don't have a building. We're like, how in the world do we play a part in this? One day I was driving over on Wilson Creek Parkway and I looked over at the Salvation Army and I saw a big mobile canteen truck and I thought, maybe that can play a role. And went inside, had never been in that building struck a partnership, a relationship with them. They threw us the keys to that truck. And for 18 months, we had a team that was driving around this city, serving a warm meal out of that truck, building a bridge with those in need and pointing them to Christ. That ministry turned into the community meal that happens every single Sunday. Six and a half years, our, our church has been serving those in need. We have people who are in our service right now who are in this service. As soon as it's over, they'll head over to the Salvation Army and they'll begin preparing that meal. In a couple weeks, we'll have a huge Thanksgiving meal to those who are in need in our community. And it all started from just coming, having eyes open, seeing through the eyes of Christ, seeing a need, and meeting it. This summer, our family was on vacation in, um, in Florida, and we were at the beach, and uh, I was out in the water, and my family was up um, on the sand, and I see this lady from afar and she's wearing a Mizzou hat that's my college University of Missouri so I probably creeped her out but I swim over by her and I go M-I-Z that's what we say to each other and she goes Z-O-U and so we started a conversation and we began talking for a very long time and I called Holly over she called her husband over and there we are in the water and um, we talked for a couple hours and at one point the wife she says how did you guys meet and if you got if you know us you know that we met in tragedy And so it depends on how much time we have and how we're feeling, how we answer that question. And we both looked at each other and we were like, let's tell her. And so we began to tell our story. And as we were telling our story, the wife, she was getting pretty choked up. As soon as we finished, she lifted her head and she said, um, she said, my husband wouldn't want me to tell you this. And he's standing right there. Um, She said, but our daughter committed suicide. And we just had an incredible opportunity there in the Gulf of Mexico on vacation to share the gospel and to point these people to the hope and the comfort that is found in Christ alone. And since then, that was July. Since then, we are in constant relationship with these people. We've had the opportunity to go, they live in Missouri. We've had the opportunity to go meet with them and we're, we're constantly uh, pointing them towards Christ as we see God's pursuit on their life. It's Holy Spirit eyes. And let me be very clear. I do not live that way every day. I should. I should but I don't. Oftentimes, I'm so consumed with my schedule, my routine, what I have to do. I have to get to point A to point B, and there's a million things going through my mind, and there's a thousand things on my desk, and so so I, I miss divine interruptions that are placed in front of me. But church, I pray for myself, and I pray for us that we wouldn't live that way, that we would slow down, because when we live that way, we oftentimes begin to see right through people We see right past these divine interruptions that God has put right in our path. And we see in the story when Peter, when he sees this guy through the eyes of Christ, not only do we see a supernatural miracle, but what we're gonna see next week and in the weeks to come, we're gonna see that that this guy's soul is healed. And we're gonna see that many, many people come to faith because of this divine miracle. And that's always the point of a miracle. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So this miracle happens because Peter saw the way Jesus saw another thing. This miracle happened because of the power and the authority of Jesus. This miracle happened because of the power and the authority in Jesus. Notice in verse 6, Peter says, We don't have money, but what we do have I give to you. And he commands him this way. He says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, that would have been a very controversial thing to say. That would have been a very strange thing to say. Because he's not explicitly saying in the name of God, rise up and walk. And he is saying that, but these Jewish people, although they would know Jesus and they would know the, the, the events that had happened in the past several months, here's Peter and he is saying it is in that name, it is by that power and that authority that this miracle is going to be done. And see, in the ancient world, names mean something totally different than they do today. I can't think of a circumstance where we would command something in the name of someone, but that was very common then. And so, if someone was entering into the city, you might hear someone say, In the name of Herod, stop. And even though Herod wasn't there, they had to stop because of his name. His name held power and authority, but there were different levels of power and authority as well. So, above Herod's name, there was another name, the name of another government official or the governor. And so, in the name of that person, stop. Or even above that, the name of Caesar. And here we have. Peter, he is declaring that this name, it's exactly what Sam read and talked about earlier, that in this name, that this is the name above all names. And he's saying, in fact, by this name, even creation itself can be commanded. As Peter looks at this guy's situation and he says, be whole, rise up and walk. Now think about this from the perspective of these believers. The church Think about the the confidence that this gives them as they go forward now in the the power of Jesus. These disciples would remember Jesus saying in Matthew 28 that I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. But they must be wondering, Jesus, you said you'd be with us, but where are you? But then they remember the rest of that verse that says, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples, and I will be with you always to the end of the, the age. And so this, this story, it encourages these believers, it encourages the church, and it encourages us today to know that Jesus is with his church. Now here's what's interesting about this miracle, that, that Peter doesn't see this need through the lens of his own resource. Peter doesn't see this need through the lens of his own resources. Rather, he sees it through the lens of Christ. And I love that he says, I have no money. I have no silver and gold. This guy's asking for money, and Peter says, silver and gold we don't have. In other words, he said, hey, man, I've checked my bank account, my pockets. I've got nothing. But what I do have is what you actually need, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you in the power and in the name of, of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of the living God. Look, I don't know about you, but oftentimes, oftentimes when I look at the needs around me of others, it's overwhelming. When I look at the needs of even this city, and there's some things that that are brewing in this city, that, that the city is trying to get off the ground, different initiatives and different organizations are trying to come, to, to come together and to make happen. And when I look at some of that, it is overwhelming. But here's the thing, our calling as a Christian is not to look at these needs through the lens of our own resource, but through the sufficiency of Christ. And there's a story that H.P. Charles, he's a preacher, tells. The story of this father and this son who were on this road trip together. And they're driving down the road and they come to this part in the road and there's this huge log that's blocking the road. And so the father stops and he tells the son, he says, hey, get out and, and push the log, move it. So the son gets out and he's pushing the log with everything he has and he can't move it. And he gets back in the car and the father says, son, did you use all your strength to move that log? And he said, yeah, I did. And the father said, you didn't use all your strength because you didn't ask me. He's trying to teach his son that that the limit of his own strength, that that, that his strength is actually his father's strength. And in a similar way, when we're overwhelmed with the needs of others around us and we think, I don't have anything to give, this story teaches us that what we do have is the power of Christ, the risen and resurrected Savior. And it totally changes the way that we look at the needs of others. It changes the way that we interact with our community. Now look, when we're talking about the power and the authority of Christ, there is nowhere that that is more on display than on the cross. There's nowhere where the power and the authority of Christ is more on display than the saving work of sinners. And and Peter will teach on that more next week as he's teaching about this miracle. But remember, all of Jesus' miracles, they demonstrate his power and his authority, and they show power over external things to, to demonstrate power over our deepest needs. And so scripturally speaking, the reason that there is lameness in this world, the reason there is blindness in this world, the reason there is sickness, the reason there is pain is because of sin. That when sin entered the world, all of this brokenness enters with it. And so we both suffer because of the sinful world in which we live and we contribute to it with our own sin. And so notice that Luke tells us here that this man was lame from birth, that he was born this way. That is a picture of sin. That is a picture of humanity. The Bible, the gospel teaches us that we are born into sin, that we are broken by sin. David in the Psalms, he says, I was conceived into sin. I was desperately sick apart from a touch from God. This guy's lameness is a picture of spiritual paralysis, that we can't do anything apart from God. That sin leaves us helpless and it leaves us hopeless. And our tendency, just like this man, is to stick our hand out in this world and look for anything that will alleviate suffering. Our tendency is, just like this man, to look for temporary relief. And that is all that this world can provide. If you were with us when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, that was the point, right? Here you had the writer of Ecclesiastes who has more money more resources than anyone he could experience every indulgence and luxury and pleasure that this world could possibly afford and that book is literally just him walking through a list of everything he tried and after every single thing he would say nope that didn't do it that didn't do it that was temporary relief that didn't satisfy so look maybe you're here today and you would say man i wish i had a powerful testimony like this man I wish I had a powerful testimony where I've experienced, you know, a a supernatural miracle where I could tell other people about that. If you're a Christian, I want to remind you of your testimony, that Ephesians 2 tells us that we weren't just lame, we were dead. We were dead in our sin, and yet God, being rich in mercy, he made us alive together with him, and so we're not just lame. Yes, we are crippled by sin, but we were actually dead. But like this man, whenever we receive a touch from God, our spirit, our soul, we are leaping and we are praising because of the power of God. That's our story, Christian. That's your testimony. And that's the miracle of salvation. So we should see the needs of those around us. That's what we see in Acts 3. We should see the needs of those around us. We should move towards those needs and we should move in confidence that Jesus has the power to bring transformation to their life and to their need. Here's the last point that we see here. This miracle happened to point to Jesus. This miracle happened to point to Jesus. Verses 8 through 10. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Again, remember this this setting. Right, so here's everyone coming and going from the temple. Most people probably had seen this guy out there for many, many years. This guy's asking for money. Peter and John, they go over to him. They say, We don't have money. What we do have is what you actually need. And they put their hand on him and they pick him up and they say, Rise in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're told that this guy is immediately healed. His feet and his ankles become whole. He begins leaping all over the place. He's praising God. He leaps his way into the temple. This would actually be the first time he was ever allowed into the temple because of his disability. He was never allowed to go into the temple. And so on this day, he leaps into the temple. Now picture that. He walks into a a prayer service that is going on in the temple and this guy is hooping and hollering. He's praising, he's leaping. And imagine all the people looking around going, what in the world is going on? And then when they realize who this guy is, that's the guy who's been out begging for money all of these years. They were filled with amazement. They were filled with worship. So what is the point of this miracle? The point of this miracle is that it points to Jesus. Look, I love that that God did this in a way that is unmistakably testifying to the power of Jesus because this miracle, first of all, was done in public in the name of Jesus, which would be which would be really strange, which would be controversial. But this miracle was done in the name of Jesus. But second of all, notice the word leaping. Luke is very clear. Luke goes out of his way twice in these verses to tell us that this guy is leaping. And as we've said many times in Bible study, anytime the Bible repeats itself, we need to pay attention. And here's why Luke tells us that. Isaiah 35, verse 6 says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. These Jews, they're seeing this guy leap around. They know Isaiah 35. And so they're going, this guy is leaping. This guy is leaping like a deer. This is just like Isaiah 35 said that it would happen. And Isaiah 35 is talking about the return of the king. It's pointing to the time when Jesus comes back and when he establishes his kingdom, when he puts all things to right. How everything is supposed to operate one pastor he says it this way i love what he says he says so you understand that when the apostles heal when they rebuke demons when they walk on water when they raise the dead these are miracles but listen to this he says they are not overturning the laws of nature that's how some of us think about miracles no they are showing us what nature looked like before it was turned over by sin That's a miracle. A miracle is is taking us back to the way things should be, to, to the way things, how they were designed to be, how they were supposed to be. And so what's happening in this miracle and others like it is it's pointing to Jesus and it's pointing to that he is the king and that he's coming and he's gonna establish his kingdom and that there will be a day when all this stuff gets wiped out, that there will be a day when every person who belongs to Christ is fully healed, there is a day where there is no more suffering. There's a day where there's no more pain, no more heartache, no more trial. There's a day where there's no more suicide, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more miscarriages, no more cancer, no more war. Revelation 21 tells us there's a day coming when God will wipe every tear from your eye. It's a picture of the kingdom. And so look, God does not do pointless miracles every miracle that god accomplishes is for a purpose greater than the miracle itself he doesn't do miracles for entertainment he doesn't do miracles for amusement or spectacle that would make him a magician he does miracles to push his message forward you see god never saves a person just to save a person he saves a person to save people that's the greater miracle. And if you are here today and you've put your faith and your trust in Christ, that is a miracle. You were dead in your sin, but God has made you alive. And God never saves a person to save a person. He saves a person to save people. And so therefore, if, if you have experienced the miracle of salvation, know that you are commissioned to go you should be leaping and praising like this man who he receives his touch from God. You should be going, leaping and praising. Your life should be testifying, should be proclaiming of the mighty works of God. Your life should be proclaiming who Jesus is and what he has done. So if you're here and you've been transformed by the power of God, you've been transformed for a purpose. Back to that story in Luke 5 that's very similar to this story. We all know it's a story where Jesus, is in the upper room and he's teaching All these people and all of a sudden the the ceiling is pushed to the side and this lame man is lowered right in front of him. And if you know the story, the first words out of Jesus' mouth, he says what? He says, your sins are forgiven. Now picture this man from his perspective. He's been lowered down. He's hopeless. He's helpless. He's lowered down on this mat, on this stretcher before Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. He must be going, what in the world are you talking about? I'm here for a healing. I need to walk, man. Like, thanks for the forgiveness stuff, but you don't understand what I'm here for. And Jesus is looking at him and he says, look, you have a need so much bigger than you think it is, than than what you think it is. Jesus is saying to this man, you have a need. And it's bigger than you think it is. And he says, therefore, you are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. Look, today, I don't know what you're facing in your life, what trials, what situations are facing your family what needs you have physically financial emotional i want to remind us that the greatest need in our life is not physical it's spiritual my problem isn't physical my problem is sin that i need to be reconciled to god through relationship not based on what i do and so jesus in these miracles they're saying do you understand that you have a bigger need that you have a spiritual need And then you need to hear the words of Jesus that say, do you believe? And if so, rise up and walk. Believe in Jesus that he has solved the bigger need. That is good news. And so if you think the only good out of a story of a miracle is the miracle itself, then you'll never see the good news in it. You'll never see that it's so much bigger than the the mere fact of healing. But if you see that Jesus has solved the greatest need that we have, then we can find such joy and peace and comfort. So look, if you're here today and you'd say, man, I have put my faith and trust in Christ, but you don't know what I'm walking through personally, I pray that you are just reminded of the miracle of your salvation and that that puts everything else into perspective. Look, if we've been transformed, we have the testimony of this man that we were crippled by sin, but, but Jesus stopped for us and he touched us and therefore we were leaping and we were praising God. But I ask us, church, oftentimes it seems like when people receive a touch from God, there's not a lot of leaping and, and praising. It seems like to go right back to the Monday. And that was never the plan. God saved us for a purpose. And if we have experienced the miracle of salvation, there should be leaping. There should be praising. We should be leaving from here as a charged up, passionate commissioned people, empowered by the Spirit of God, proclaiming who He is and what He has done. So, this week when I was studying, I, I came across this uh, prayer card. And this is the prayer card of my uncle. And a lot of you know the story, how last uh, fall, last September, when our church was moving into a focused season of prayer, and we were going to start putting these prayer cards out every single week, Um, I stood before you and I said, hey, I've got a need and I'm gonna write this down every single week. I'm gonna write down the need of my uncle that a few years prior to that, my uncle, a healthy man, had been diagnosed with lung cancer and it really caught our family off guard and he battled it for a couple years uh, but last year, it moved from his lungs to his brain and at that point, the doctors were saying it was a matter of time and so I told you, I said, hey, every single week, I'm gonna write down this need for my uncle, healing in his body but most importantly, Salvation for his soul. My uncle on that side of the family is very, very hard-hearted, opposed to the things of God. Wouldn't even have a conversation, shut it down. And so every week, last fall, I wrote this down. I wrote, healing for my uncle, most importantly, salvation for his soul. Many of you got this prayer card and you would come during the week and say, hey, I got your prayer card, I'm praying for your uncle. Moved into the new year, January. I was on the men's ski trip and I got a call from my mom. And it was one of those calls I'm glad I got when I was by myself because I started crying like a baby. But she told me that my uncle in the hospital had surrendered his life to Christ. I mean, this guy was hard-hearted, opposed to God. And so to see this miracle that he finally had seen his need and he had surrendered his heart was such a miracle. Two weeks later, I got the call that he passed away. And so as I was studying this week, and I'm, I'm thinking of this text of this lame man who's touched from God and begins to leap in praise, and I come across this prayer card. I just had the image of my uncle there, the final days in the hospital, and his body's so frail, and he's in and out of consciousness, and just eaten up by cancer and disease. I was thinking about his last breath on this earth, and then that next breath in eternity that next breath had to look just like this man, where he received his healing, where he received his miracle, and he was leaping, and he was praising before God Almighty. More alive than ever before. A couple weeks after that, I was asked to go and speak at his funeral. And I I did not know what that would look like, knowing that side of the family, knowing um, they're very, very opposed to God. And so I had written out, um, a message. And I got there, and I really felt opposition from the family just kind of beforehand in terms of um, talking too much about Jesus. And so I, I stepped behind the this, this stage before the service started, and I was just praying, God, tell me what to say. And I just had this picture of my uncle, and it's not a visitation, but I just had a picture in my mind of my uncle there, alive, leaping, praising and he's saying tell them tell them and so it gave me so much confidence to walk out in this this church was packed non-believers to proclaim the goodness of our god to talk about i talked about my uncle's last breath and i talked about his next breath before god almighty it was one of the most incredible times of my life to just so boldly being able to proclaim who God is and the comfort and the, the peace that is found in him. And I share that story for multiple reasons. One, I share it just because I think it is a, just, it's a picture. It's a picture, at least for me, as I run across that card of literally just getting the miracle, the touch from God and leaping and praising. And that's a picture of all of us when we receive Christ. But also I say that I share that because I know there's some of you who you've been praying for a healing, you've been praying for a miracle, you've been praying for a divine touch for a long time. And I know sometimes those prayers don't go the way that we want them to go. And we can easily become discouraged, we can easily lose heart, but I want to remind us that the point of a miracle is to point to Jesus. The point of our life as believers is to point to Jesus. And so we have to remember when we are praying that sometimes God decides that the best way that we'll point to Jesus is by enduring suffering, but enduring suffering well. And we do it with hope as we're holding on to the glimpse of the kingdom that we've been talking to this morning, that there is coming a day where every single Christian, every Christian will be healed. Do all Christians get healed? Yes, they do. Sometimes they get healed immediately, supernaturally. It's a miracle. Sometimes it's it's a gradual miracle. And sometimes that miracle comes next. And And it's fully and it's eternal. And so one of the strongest testimonies that we can have to a watching world in the midst of pain and brokenness is people who don't lose heart. People who hold fast. To the picture of the kingdom that is coming. It's a reminder of what we talked about. Acts chapter three, number one, go out. See the needs of others, church. See through the lens of Christ. Peter doesn't just stop for the wealthy. No, he stops for this guy who has nothing to offer. And yet in this divine interruption, an invitation to the kingdom of God is extended. And we're gonna see many people come to faith because of that. Just go from this place seeing through the eyes of Christ. Secondly, though, we go, when we see those needs, we move towards them with confidence because of the power and the authority of Christ. There is nothing that we possibly could come up against that is a match for the power and the authority of Christ. There's no sin struggle, there's no marriage issue that is a match for the power and the authority of Christ. And so, church, I pray that we go from this place today being reminded that we are the church. We are the commissioned people of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. May we be found faithful so that God chooses to work through us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our God. You are our God, you are a good God, you are a faithful God, and we are your people, and you have us in your hands, you are for us, you are leading, you are guiding in all things. God, we thank you for just this truth in scripture this morning, God, that we, that we have been saved by you, we have been saved for a purpose, God, for those who are in this place, and and that's not their story, Lord, for those who have not yet encountered the saving power of Jesus, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, work on their hearts. I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would reveal to them the need of a Savior. For those of us who that is our story, that we have received the miracle of salvation, I pray that we would go from this place, that we would have Holy Spirit eyes to see every day, we would see those around us. We would see those that we work with. We would see those on our blocks. That we would, we would be ready for divine interruptions. And that we can go in the confidence of who you are, the power and the authority of Christ. So God, put your hand upon this church. I pray you unite us and that we are, we are a commissioned people who go out with the message of the good news, proclaiming the mighty works of who you are. name of Jesus we pray. Amen.